Welcome to the Driving Dentistry Forward podcast, where successful dental pros and anyone who values the power of a smile can get an edge in the dynamic worlds of healthcare and business. Hosts Chuck Cohen and Rick Cohen speak with top influencers in the world of dentistry and explore essential tools, trends worth your time, and solutions that help you practice smarter. Hi, everybody. We're very pleased to have Dr. Miguel Stanley, one of the world's foremost dental clinicians based in Lisbon, as our guest today on this podcast. Before we get started on the specific story, and it's an exciting one that Dr. Stanley is going to tell, let's get a little background on Dr. Stanley. So, uh, Miguel, you are the founder of the White Dental Clinic and a, a movement called Slow Dentistry. Could you give us two sentences on that just so we understand your background? Uh, I'm a passionate dentist that loves doing the right thing. I don't get to choose how to filter the science or the clinical evidence for a buck. So I'm all about making sure that doctors do the right thing and that doctors on my team do the right thing. White Clinic uses technology and practice management to really deliver really high quality care consistently. I love to do that. I love to lecture around the world on combining technology with clinical practice and workflows and future materials and all of that. Uh, we're a private practice, not a DSO. There's only one, no shareholders, no investors, and that's pretty much it. On another note, I'm the founding uh, member of uh, Slow Dentistry Global Network, which is currently in over 54 countries. And you can visit slowdentistry.com. And it's a nonprofit foundation based in Switzerland. So very regulated by the Swiss tax authority. And basically we receive a, a yearly membership for clinicians that believe that seeing fewer patients a day helps them practice better. Why? Better mental health, better practice management, more time in the workflow to include technologies, et cetera, to, but most importantly, to disinfect the treatment room in between surgeries or treatments. And also, for example, one of our cornerstones is rubber dam on 100% of root canal treatments, which we know dentists don't do, don't do to save time and money. And so slow dentistry is all about ethics and practice management. And we really support clinicians and we have sponsor companies that also make donations because they believe that, you know, we have to do greater good. And that's pretty much what I love to do every day. Awesome. Well, it's love to, it's great to meet someone who loves dentistry as much as you do. And in the conversations that our team have been having with you about being a member of our 32 most influential, one of the things that came out is this amazing story about your rescue mission to the Ukraine, or should I say Ukraine? We don't say the Ukraine anymore. And I understand that your wife is Ukrainian and you just embarked on an amazing story and an amazing mission. So if you could start at the beginning and just tell us the story, we'd appreciate it. I'd never really understood what the Ukraine was until I met my wife. I mean, Portugal, I live in Portugal. It's a very small country. It's the most Western country in Europe. It's now trending. Uh, it's a really happening part of the world with a West coast of Europe. Um, and so the distance from Portugal to the Ukraine is Portugal, Spain, France, Germany, Poland, Ukraine. It's 3000 miles away. All right, just to have some geographic, it's like driving, I don't know, from LA to New York or something like that. And um, with that said, um, I'd always understood, I, I, I had no connection. And then I met my wife 10 years ago and um, I went to go visit the city of Kiev. And uh, it's just this most amazing, I was blown away by this incredible 
city. I mean, it's just beautiful, uh, very modern, very, you know, up and coming and uh, learning how the, the fall of the Soviet Union, my wife was born in the Soviet Union, and then at the age of 14 became, you know, Democrat. And it's a very young democratic nation. And they really are different than the Russians in the sense that, you know, they're fiercely fighting for freedom. And, you know, despite whatever you want to say, they have democratic elections and they wanted to be part of Europe. And that's pretty much it. And in 2014, there was a threat to that democratic election. And there was this, uh, you know, uh, horrible quasi-revolution and it got quelled. And basically it's like, look, we want to be free, we want to be independent, and we want to be European. And um, we take a lot of our liberties uh, um, for granted. And I know that right now, because in Europe, we follow politics in the US. US politics dictates global policy. Let's face it. The better your Secretary of State is, the better the world works. And, you know, it's been challenging in the last decade, to say the least, uh, whatever is coming out. And I'm not, you know, I don't choose sides of fences. I'm a dentist. I don't know. And my vote doesn't count in America. So it doesn't really matter. But with that said, everybody is pro-democracy in the free world, right? We want at least people to have freedom of speech, freedom. I mean, your Bill of Rights in America 200 years ago, it's the most amazing document ever written. You know, it's, 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 it's the ultimate expression of freedom, right? Now, thank you. That's it's it's amazing. America is the greatest country in the world because of it, and it should be defended. And freedom of speech should be defended, no matter how nasty it is. It needs to be defended, right? Now, yes. I've never really been a politician. I've never really. I mean, I fight for a bit in dentistry, but I do it positively. Uh -huh. um, I've never been active politically. I've never even gone, Chuck. I've never been to a manifestation, and I'm not one for big displays of you know, these things, but um, about a month before the bombs fell in Kiev, uh, well, in around uh, the Ukraine, my wife starts getting a bit nervous and we start getting rumors that it's about to go down. And then we, we saw all of those uh, troops on the border of Russia and everybody's like, no, no, no. And, you know, Biden's team is like going, yeah, yeah, yeah. The presidency's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And since we'd come out of two years of COVID, and half of the team are going, yeah, and the other half are saying, no, we kind of didn't really know who to believe, right? right. Yep. And of course, the, you know, the CIA and the, 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 the American uh, um, uh, White House was completely right about, you know, this is going to happen. And I don't think till the day before anybody really believed this was going to happen. I agree. But, we, but we've got some, and that's the, excuse my language, but that's the the damaging, I'm going to say a swear word, but of, okay. of calling fake news and fake news and fake news. But we live in a society, Chuck, right now where fake news is absolutely real. And, you know, it's happening in propaganda and Russia and all of that. But I'll get to that in a bit. But with that said, my wife says we need to get my family out. So uh, I, I flew her father, her sister and her young baby, who's five. And we flew them to Portugal to safety. And we said, you know, just sit tight. And they were um, about three weeks before it happened. And about a week before, I think it happened on the 24th of February, 25th of February or, or 6th, the bombings, mm -hmm. we were like, it's not going to happen. Let's send them back home because they were staying with us. And we were like, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, and I had this inkling, no, they should stay. And they stayed. But my father-in-law starts getting, he's 68 years old, 
and Chucky's had two heart surgeries, twice his heart's been out of his chest. Wow. He's 68, so he, he, he wouldn't even make the, the military you know, res, re, reserves or conscripts, whatever you'd call them. And he starts getting very nervous and say, look, I need to get there. And he says, please buy him an airplane ticket, whatever. I, I just get me to Poland because they suspended flights and all of that. And on a Saturday, the bombs fell. The first they, they invaded. And I realized I was like, I saw my father-in-law freaking out. And I'm like, the best way to get him there is to drive him. So I call my, my dear friend, Mike, who's one of my best buddies. I said, Mike, will you drive with me to Poland tomorrow? He goes, when we're leaving. I was like, yeah, you know, that, that, that buddy, you know? Yeah. And um, so I called a rental service. I rented the biggest people carrier because I was like, do I take lots of supplements and food and, and pharmaceutical products with me and come back empty? Or do I bring back refugees? Because the United Nations had said they were predicting four to 5 million refugees and the numbers were 100% right. I mean, people know what they're talking about. It was, that's the exact, they were completely right. And so I got a nine people, uh, a nine person people carrier, like a Mercedes, whatever. I rented it. I came to my clinic. I emptied the stock of uh, emergency medical supplies, like, you know, sutures, um, uh, survival, emergency kits, you know, uh, anesthetic, anything that I thought that might be necessary in a war scenario. Also thinking that the displaced would be young women with babies. So we got diapers and baby milk. And then I went to a pharmacy and I loaded up. And I have a friend of mine, he's a dentist, uh, a, a quite a well-known speaker from Kiev. And he texted me and said, Miguel, we need this. And he put a list because we knew pretty well on what the hospitals were going to need. And that's what I did, Chuck. I filled the van and wow. we drove to Poland with my father-in-law. And uh, that's how it started. Really? So when you got to Poland, was there trouble getting over the border into the U into Ukraine or did you stay on the Poland side? Well, um, we got the, on the way. I, I made a little Instagram video. I have quite a few followers on my Instagram and all of a sudden it's like it went viral and yeah. like 150,000 people saw this video in the first few hours. And then all of a sudden people were texting me, how can I help? How can I help? And I have to say, before I just I jump to that, it's. Mm -hmm. The, out, the outpour of support mm -hmm. from strangers and just from everybody after two years of human isolation where people weren't that connected, it, it just filled me with an overwhelming sense of just gratitude for humanity because I thought I was kind of giving up hope, Chuck. I was giving up hope. I mean, people had there was and all of a sudden, it was like this, uh, this atrocity brought humanity together again. And it, it just gave us energy to go to say that we got support from some people in wow. uh, Germany, dentists that just said, Miguel, pull up at my clinic here. And we even had to rent another van and get another wow. group of people. And so by the time we arrive in Krakow, which is one of the most beautiful cities in the world uh, on the border of the Ukraine, like maybe 100 kilometers away, we'd had two trucks full of pharmaceutical supplies. And um, that was, that's the base of where the United Nations, UNICEF, um, and I guess a lot of spooks <laughs> started setting up yeah. operations. And I think the hotel we'd stayed at was where everything was happening. And we right. were told, don't cross the border. Yeah. It's not safe. They were, they were scared that bombs would actually, that they, the Russians might want to take out the supply chain. And the mm -hmm. supply chain literally went on that road. And moreover, 
there was a 87 mile long exodus of people trying to escape Lviv, which is the last frontier city to Krakow. And so we thought, well, we could get in, but we might not be able to get out. Right. So the second thing we did is, is speak to guys like you. I'm being serious, yeah. dental distribution companies. Yeah. And I have to say that dental distributor companies, so there's a guy in Poland called Wojciech Fek. Okay. Nobody's heard of, he has, he distributes, you know, some dental products for, the, for uh, Poland. He's yeah. an unsung hero. This guy basically stopped, he's a small enterprise, maybe what, uh, 20 people working for him. He stopped his operations and got his entire team using their network of sales forces and all of that to help. And so we deposited all of our pharmaceuticals with Wojciech and he'd got a team of Ukrainians to get all of the medicines into Ukraine safely. Wow. Moreover, even putting stickers on the boxes, look how organized they were. So he said, this is your uh, delivery. And then a week later, here's your delivery with the sticker being open in Ukraine. Why? Because they were so worried that people might not make donations in fear that the product wouldn't get to yeah. the, the level. Yeah. Amazing. amazing. So all of a sudden, very quickly, within 48 hours, this amazing group of dentists and dental distributors and people with enterprises like Benko all got together on the border, helping each other. Um, and it was just an amazing thing. It's amazing. So you stayed on the Poland side. You never went yes, into sir. Ukraine. Did your no. father-in-law want to go into Ukraine? And did he? So, so Wojciech organized with the group of uh, uh, Ukrainians that had managed to do operations. Uh, this sounds like a movie. 11 ambulances from Copenhagen, which is in Denmark. Yeah. So they had organized 11 amb ambulances to drive through Ger Denmark, through Germany, and to stop in Poland. And I drove my father-in-law to this town a bit north of, of, of Warsaw, of, sorry, of, of Krakow, and dropped off my father-in-law with Wojciech. He jumped into these ambulances and they drove him safely across the border to Lviv. And then he promised us he'd stay in Lviv, which is kind of safer. And we found out two days later, he was in Kiev. So he went into the fray. He went into the mix of things. The guy's got cojones, Chuck. He so does. <laughs> That's amazing. So is he still in Kiev? As we record I'm, I'm, this, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I wish I had a fraction of his bravery. Oh my God! You know? And yeah. he's the he's the he's the father of my wife and the grandfather of my two daughters who are half Ukrainian, and uh, I get emotional talking about this. And he's now, so he has a car there, mm -hmm. like an SUV, and he's been running um, errands between the front lines and back because what you saw yesterday, a uh, timestamp today is the 6th of April, yep. uh, 2022. So two days ago, evidence and images came out of a city called Busha where there was yeah. human atrocities. Atrocities, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna try not get into this because I get, <clears throat> my wife grew up there. This is oh, 20 geez. minutes from Kiev capital. Wow. It's not, random middle of nowhere it's it's a it's a it's where my wife spent her summers and she got calls from friends that she went to school with saying that you know kids have been raped and killed and it's all this is not on the news this is really really happening yeah. and it's i mean it's it's a, a beyond atrocious what's going on with that said 
he is actually going there and taking supports and foods and supplies. And uh, Chuck, it's a, it, we, as a surgeon, I am trained to remove problems and focus on the healing. And I'm, I believe that humans instinctively want the best for each other. And if we have a cancer like what's happening now, there is treatment and it's going to be tough and it's, there's going to be pain and it's not going to be the easy and there's going to need a lot of healing, but it's going to happen if we all come together and help fix this. And honestly, the dental community has done so much unsung heroes in Poland, uh, mostly in Poland, which absorbed the biggest wave, Romania to some extent, Slovakia to some extent, but the Polish people, what they have done to absorb uh, uh, these refugees into their homes and everything and around, around Europe as well. And the, the support from America, from everywhere has just been so important, so important to the Ukrainian people. So as far as you know, today, your father is safe. Your father-in-law is safe. He's working on behalf of the Ukrainian people, uh, yes, trying to do the right thing. It's an amazing story that really talks about how much a man can love his country, how much we all love our country, how much we love our fellow people, and going into a war zone to try to be helpful. You know, I'm, amazing. I'm, 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 I told my wife yesterday, I said, I want to go back. Oh. I mean, I... I always thought, you know, I grew up watching Hollywood movies, right? You'd see these action heroes running into the danger. I'm like, I would never do that. I would never risk my life. But there's these moments in time where destiny is bigger than yourself. And the reason is bigger than yourself. I think as a, as a civilization, we've become really accustomed to our own comfort. We don't challenge ourselves that much. I mean, what, you know, just my grandfather fought the Nazis for six years. He was in the British army. My mother's British, so that's why I speak English. My grandfather was from Manchester and he enlisted at the age of 18. And he was, uh, you know, he fought frontline Nazis. So I understand that. And I grew up listening to the stories, you know, and I kind of like, man, I, I hope there's never war in Europe again. And here we are with war in Europe again. And I think we all owe it to each other to, be on the right side of this, you know, and help these people not argue why it happened or who's to blame, but right now help these poor people uh, and stop this madness and help these people get back on track. You know, it's there's a lot of political pundits going on and, and that's not the discussion right now as, and, you know, we got to help heal and stop the problem. It's a frightening situation. And one of the ones that make, one of the things that makes this one so interesting to me, at least, it's so obviously who's right and who's wrong. We can talk about the politics of it, but it's so, it's an unprovoked attack. And it really inspires me that you've gotten so involved in this. Now, yeah. getting back to the story itself, you had these two vehicles in Krakow. When you came back, did you bring refugees with you? Oh, yeah. We bought uh, two families. I had really? no idea who they were. We bought two moms. They didn't know each other. It was pretty much, you know, um, these, let's try and explain. These are people that three days before right. had cell phones and bank accounts and microwaves and ovens and TVs and Netflix, right? They're not yep. like hopeless, desperate, uh, you know, uh, refugees. I mean, they, they were, it's, I like, I prefer the term displaced. 
because they're not economic refugees. I mean, these people mm -hmm. can, you know, but so they're looking for family members, and whatever. So um, I located an asset, uh, a Ukrainian guy. Uh, uh, I sound like a, a spy myself, but pretty <laughs> much I'm like, guy, are you Ukrainian? He goes, yes. And we start, I speak a little bit uh, and, and we started speaking and I said, okay, listen, find me um, women and children that need to go to Portugal. So they'd had this help group that was immediately set up like a WhatsApp chat group amongst them. And he said, listen, tomorrow, anybody wanting to go to Portugal, I've got eight seats. And uh, the next day at 8 a.m., I've got this young woman with two children. The youngest girl was eight and the other boy was 12. And then another one, her boy was 14. And uh, so they just literally chucked, they had a plastic bag with some underpants in it. That's what they had. And you're like, really? You know, and these oligarchs have boats of 200 million, 300 million dollars. You know, it's just like, ugh. you know, and uh, it's, it, I, I'd never expected humanity to get such a reality check so quickly. Long story short, we, you know, me and my friend, Mike, we put them in the Jeep and the trip back was hard because with kids, you know, you have to stop. And then there's COVID rules and the COVID rules were changing from Germany, you know, from uh, we went through Czech Republic and then uh, Poland, Poland, Czech Republic, Germany, France. So like in Germany, without a, an F, uh, an N95 mask, they wouldn't be allowed even to a roadside bathroom. So that made getting them food and stuff very complicated. They didn't have biometric passports. And it was it's insane. This is 2022. You know, we're discussing putting rockets on Mars. Do you understand? It's yeah. like and we, we're having these these problems. And then there was another discussion, which we can get into in a bit. But anyway, these, these people are now safe in families of friends um, that had been in Portugal established. The kids have already put, uh, gone to school. Uh, the Portuguese government opened an uh, like emergency fund for these families. Right. I've now employed, this is in the last month, I have three Ukrainian dentists employed in my clinic um, from the town of Kharkiv. Wow. Uh, yeah, so they can't work as dentists. So I've employed them as assistants. So I have, you know, they don't speak any other language, but I'm giving them a job because they've got wife, you know, got husbands and children, because the husband, well, the husbands have stayed in Ukraine because men are not allowed out. Yep. So we're supporting that way. Um, so we yeah, so directly and indirectly, we're helping a lot of people. And then because wow. I did that journey, I learned quite a bit. And I I think. One thing that I learned was nobody knows how to act when they want to help. So think about that. It's like I got thousands of messages. I only managed to read like 10%, but it's like, I want to donate. Where do I donate money? Right. So A, huge distrust in charities. Huge distrust. Will my money get to the right, you know, I'm, I'm talking as big yeah. as you can think. It's like if yeah. I give money to the Red Cross, will my money get to the right you know, I think there's a huge distrust in charities. Yeah. yeah. Um, people not knowing how to pack goods. So, for example, to separate baby foods and diapers from pharmaceutical products, because the one goes, one will stay with the refugees and the other will go to the front line. Right. So they were mixing everything together and then that would take a huge um, uh, time to, to unpack and repack. So those were lessons that we were teaching people. And also people were packing out of date 
uh, pharmaceutical products. Like, oh, I've got this old, you know, so like antibiotics from the 80s and sutures from 2015 and stuff this like that. This is not that. a yard sale. That was happening. Right? Yeah. That happened a lot. Um, and yeah, it was a bit better than that. So what did you learn from the whole experience? What's your takeaways? There's one thing that I had a lot of challenges dealing with, um, which was in 2015, there was a huge influx of asylum seekers from the Af from Afghanistan and Syria and you know the those wars uh, that had happened there, and they were not allowed in. So you, I think, if you watch the news, there were a bunch of Syrian and Afghans on the border of Belarus with Poland, and Poland's are like no, mm -hmm. right? And it was cold and winter, and of course you're like, man, this is. And there was reasons for that. And then this happens and Poland's like, come, 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 come. And so people from the Middle East saying, and I'm a global citizen. I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm not, I'm, I love everybody. I'm, you know, I'm all about all religions, all races, all creeds. You know, we don't get to decide all mankind is important. But because some people are more angry about that uh, than others, uh, there were a lot of people saying that that was uh, endemic racism because we were allowing white Christians in and we weren't allowing, you know, uh, uh, other ethnicities that were Muslim. And of course, that's what it appeared on face value. But the truth is, is that millions of uh, uh, Middle Eastern refugees were absorbed into Europe. That's the first thing. Millions. And second, these are immediate neighbors. And no matter what faith or religion you're from, love thy neighbor is, is part of that you know thing. And these are people that have a thousand years of relationships and families and stuff. So I, I really was unhappy to see that narrative happening a lot. Yeah. And the second takeaway is I think we need to teach school uh, young kids in citizens, citizenship classes uh, at education. Uh, you know, the, now there's the, a lot of narrative of what to teach kids in class. Yeah. I'm not going to go there. But I think one thing that you could teach in class is how to act when there is a global crisis. What, you know, how to act as a, as a, as a citizen. You know, just because you have a Twitter account doesn't mean you can say things and do things. And if you want to help, how to help all of that. I think that's something that as, as a civilization, as a species, we failed at. We don't know how to act when there's a global crisis. And I think we need to improve on that and I think as doctors and dentists, we could be pillars of society and at least try and, and, and improve that. And last but not least, I think we need to correct um, as a society as well uh, to maybe use blockchain and artificial intelligence to track donations. Because I think that if you are, because blockchain, cryptocurrency, um, I'm not a, I don't have shares in any cryptocurrency, by the way. So I'm not. I have no shares and I don't even own a, 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 a whatever. Um, but imagine using that kind of way to help money in emergency crises to get to the right place. You can literally track that the person that wanted it got it. Yeah. And I think that that's something that might be very interesting in the future as well. It's great. To those three lessons, I wanted to add a fourth one from hearing the story. And that is we are all just minutes away from having to leave with a plastic bag of our stuff. Oh, and we all think that we're all very secure. And 
In America, we are very really good at thinking we're secure, as I'm sure you think you are. We all think we are in Lisbon. Well, Here's when you tell the story. These people had cell phones. They had they had Netflix, and 24 hours later, they have pair they have pairs of underwear in a plastic bag. BMWs. These people had BMWs, and some of them had Porsches. And one of the doctors that I'm talking about, Dr. Nazari. I mean, he'll know. Um, he had one of the most advanced dental clinics in the world. He's a global speaker. That clinic is empty now. I mean, it's it's, it's gone. You know, this is a guy. He's he's, he's now his his he can't provide for his family. I mean, this is a, um, you know, and by the way, I'd just like to give a shout out. I don't know if you know of Quintessence Publishing in Germany. Of course. Yeah. So they having, uh, I, I believe if I just like to give a quick shout out, there's a Please. date happening now. Um, so Christian Haas and the Haas family, it's called Quintessence Live Aid. Yeah. Oh, so, wonderful. And, and that's happening on the 29th of April and all donations and all proceeds of that, some of the best speakers in the world are moderating one of those meetings. Will all go to help the dental community in the Ukraine, uh, you know, to because they've lost their 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 um, their, their livelihood. But you're right about where we shouldn't be so safe. We shouldn't take our freedoms for granted. And this is what happens when you don't have a free democracy. Some some of the people that get into power are not good leaders. All right. No, there's no I, democracy is an ideal, but at least it's free. Yeah. You know, and what happened in Russia is that they let this bully go unchecked. And sometimes the bully needs to be punched in the face so he stops bullying or he needs to be expelled from the school. But if you keep on like saying it's OK, it's OK, it's OK, because he's not bullying us. This is what happens. And that happened in the 1930s in Germany. And we can't let this happen. I mean, never again. Here it is happening again. You know, Dr. Stanley. Dr. Stanley, thank you very much for sharing the story and thank you for everything you've done. We are gonna get involved at Benco with the Quintessence event. I had no idea that it was going on. We're gonna make sure that we're involved and we're supporting it. And uh, please keep great. in touch. I mean, this thank is a great you. story. Thank you for sharing it. I find it inspiring as thank a fellow you. member of the dental community. So glad to, tell that, glad to spread I, that story. And thank I'd you. like to commend all of you at Benco Dental uh, for multiple reasons. I love your company. Uh, the fact that it's a family run operation and that you actually run it with your heart. And uh, I know the origins of your, uh, of your company. And, you know, I know that it's, 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 it's a family business. And for me, family values are something that I think are essential um, in the world that we live in. It's not all about numbers and bottom line. It's about having values. And I know that Benko Dental has very high values and that's why you do stuff like this. So thank you, Chuck, for having me. Thank you. Best regards to your family and your business. Thank, thank you. you very much, Dr. Stanley. Good luck and good luck out there and be safe. I will. Thank you so thank much. You. Talk Bye. to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening in. Don't want to miss an episode of the Driving Dentistry Forward podcast? Subscribe today on your favorite podcast app.